Good morning and welcome to this week's home church lesson as we continue walking through Luke 1 and 2 during the season of Advent. Today we are going to be in Luke chapter 1 and we are going to look at verses 46 through 56 and then verses 67 through 80 as we look at Mary and Zacharias songs. So we'll begin and I'll begin by starting with the Magnificat with Mary's song and I'm going to read verses 46 through 49 for us to start off with. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So to set the context up here, Mary has earlier in Luke chapter one received that message from the angel Gabriel that she will bear a son, the son of the most high named Jesus who will sit on David's eternal throne. And after hearing this news, Mary travels some 70 miles to be with her cousin Elizabeth, who has also received a very peculiar message by way from her husband who witnessed Gabriel at the temple and Gabriel told her husband Zachariah, you'll remember from two weeks ago, that they would have a son named John and that John would prepare the way for this Messiah to come, who in fact would be his cousin, Mary's child. So Mary would have had 70 miles to, to mull over the angel's message here and to begin to compose this song that's really inspired by the Old Testament. If you look at a Bible with cross references, you're going to see references to the book of Psalms, to Hannah's song in 1 Samuel, and even to the story of the Exodus when God delivered his people out of Egypt. And so Mary's response here how does she respond to this, this notion that God has chosen her of all people to be the vessel to bring the Messiah into the world? So she, she admits here in verse 48 that all generations will call her blessed. She realizes that she has this special calling, but Mary instead turns the spotlight away from her and chooses in this song to magnify the Lord. Look again with me at verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. So Mary could have had the inclination here to puff up herself, to be full of pride because God had chosen her of all women to be the mother of Jesus. And yet Mary turns and she looks not inwardly at herself, but at her own situation out of pride or arrogance, but instead she turns her focus towards the Lord and worships Him in her humble estate. Now, as we think about Mary's humble estate, what is it that means? Well, Mary was, was humble because she recognized her need for the Lord, but Mary was also literally humble. Mary was from a poor family. Mary is a woman, so she was born in a society where she would not have had the same rights that women enjoy today. And Mary, at this part in the story, is in a really particularly vulnerable situation. She's just traveled, mind you, 70 miles to be with Elizabeth. 
on her own, unaccompanied, on foot, newly pregnant. Not only that, but Mary is betrothed to Joseph. And so you can imagine that Mary in her humble estate would have had many reasons to be worried and concerned about this situation, about this unbelievable news that Gabriel had delivered to her. What is it that Joseph will do when he finds out? What will my family say? What will our town say? Or the priest or the other religious leaders? How will society treat me? Will they really believe the message that Gabriel said that this child is the son of the Most High and that I am a virgin and that I have been faithful in waiting for my betrothed husband, Joseph? But Mary, just like she chooses worship over pride, she also chooses worship over worry. And so when she encounters Elizabeth, we don't see Mary come to Elizabeth first looking for consolation with an anxious heart, but Mary comes declaring who the Lord is and that He is worthy of being praised. She trusts that He is at work even when she can't fully understand this situation or how it's happened. And then as we continue on in verses 50 through 55, Mary is going to show us this larger scope of how God is not only doing great things for and through her, but that these great things are ultimately for the purpose of blessing God's people. Read with me these verses. And God's mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So here Mary is going to widen the scope and is going to show us how God is worthy of worship because He is mighty and He is merciful and He is keeping the promises that He has made not only to Mary, but the promises that He has made to all of Israel through this promised child. In verses 51 through 53, you notice all of these dramatic reversals that God has shown strength with His arm, and He has scattered the proud with that strong arm. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and instead exalted those who are humble, like Mary. He has filled the hungry with good things, but He has sent away the rich with nothing. These reversals here remind us of this truth that God stands against the proud. God calls us to have a, a clear understanding of who we are and who He is and that He is holy and He is worthy of worship, that He is sovereign over all. And so the song that Mary is singing here is a song reminding us that worldly powers even 
succumb to the Lord, that they are subservient to Him, that He alone is in control and that He alone is supreme. And that part of this kingdom that He is bringing to fruition with Christ is a kingdom that's going to turn these worldly powers on their head. You think about how Jesus lived into some of these statements during His ministry. Jesus didn't come and rub shoulders with the famous or with the powerful, with the religious leaders. But instead, do you remember that he spoke words of indictment against the Pharisees, those who put heavy burdens on the people? But for the merciful, I'm sorry, can you? Yeah. Okay. You got a good place to pick up that? Yes. Okay. With the Pharisees. You just hit nine minutes. Okay, great. So there's this reversal here that God is going to humble those who are exalted. But notice the good news is that just as the God will humble those who are exalted, he will also exalt those who are humble. So those who are like Mary, who realize that they are in need of a Savior and a Lord and a King and a Messiah, God is going to raise them up. He is a God who is not only mighty and worthy to be praised because He is mighty, but He is a God who is worthy to be praised because He is merciful. Now, what is mercy? Mercy is when you and I do not receive that which we ought to receive. So rather than showing us judgment, God shows us grace and kindness. And ultimately that mercy points us forward to Jesus, right? Think about all the instances where Jesus showed love and compassion and mercy to those who are on the edges of society. You think about when Jesus would heal the lepers, when he would go to people like the Samaritan woman. You even think about those who were hungry and how Jesus' heart of compassion wanted to feed them and they would leave full, lacking nothing with the feeding of the 5,000 because his heart was one of mercy. This, this idea of mercy Mary is picking up on actually makes me think about the story of the Exodus and it's one of the common threads that are repeated here. Mary is, is referencing the Exodus here as she talks about God's strong arm. But I think about that story in Exodus when Moses records that the Lord it says in, in Exodus that the Lord saw the suffering of his people when they were in Egypt in slavery and in bondage. He saw their suffering, that he heard their cries, and that he knew their pain. And because of his compassion, he chose to interact. He chose to come and to deliver them, to use a man like Moses to come and to free the people from slavery, that God with his strong arm would deliver them out of the hand of Pharaoh, that he would part the Red Sea, and that they would walk through on dry ground into deliverance because of God's mercy. I think that this notion of God being mighty and God being merciful is a word of warning and a word of comfort for you and I. 
If I have to be honest, sometimes I am the person who struggles with pride in my own heart. I can arrogantly fall into this trap of believing that I have earned whatever authority I have, that I'm in control, um, that I'm well-respected and well-liked, and that people ought to listen to what I have to say. And the Lord promises here that if that is true for us, our demise is that we will be humbled because he alone is God. He alone is the source of all things and he alone holds all things together. And he alone is worthy of worship. But the good news and the comfort here is that God also hears the cries of his people. And this song is a reminder of that promise because for hundreds of years at this point, God's people from the time of exile and even before had been waiting for a savior, for a Messiah to come and deliver them from, from their foreign oppressors, but also from themselves, from their own sin. And so it's a reminder that God is merciful and God hears us when we cry out. I wanna finish quickly by just referencing Zachariah's song. Zechariah is going to sing a similar song called the Benedictus in verses 67 through 80 after the birth of his son, John. And John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from an old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will go be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I wish we had time to plumb the depths of this beautiful song that John sings, which is also full of Old Testament echoes. You know, Mary had 70 miles to think about her song, but Zachariah had nine months. Remember, he was rendered mute after he questioned Gabriel when Gabriel appeared to him. And so for nine months, Zechariah has been thinking about what this promised child, this forerunner of the Messiah, might mean. And when he is able to speak, he bursts out into song. And like Mary, it is a song not full of worry or a song not full of pride in his own circumstances, but it is a song of worship. And, and specifically, I want to point out just a couple of things. First, Zechariah is focused on how these children are fulfillment of the promises God made his people long ago. And you'll also see that Mary had referenced Abraham too. But Zechariah is going to reference Abraham and David and the covenants that God made with them. 
Way back in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham that he would make him a great nation, that he would give him a land, and that through Abraham, the nations of the world would be blessed. And then in 2 Samuel 12, God promised David that he would give David a descendant who would sit on his throne eternally. Now, these are promises that it might have seemed like not even God could keep. Abraham and his wife were, were old and they were barren, and yet they had a child. And eventually we see the lineage of Abraham grow into the Israelite nation. But then under exile, they were taken from their home and David's kingdom stood no longer. When we enter into the story here in Luke 1, the people are under Roman rule. And yet Zechariah proclaims that these children, these promised children, are signs that God has not given up on his promises to Abraham or to David. So through Jesus Christ, through John's cousin, the Son of the Most High, the nations of the world will be blessed by his life, death, and resurrection. And through Christ, we have an eternal King who reigns forever at the right hand of God and who promises that he is coming again for us. And so Zechariah wants us to know that God keeps the promises He makes. We can trust in His good work, that every good word will come to pass. And I just want to leave us here in verses 78 through 79, because I think that this is the most beautiful Advent hope. John says this is all because of the tender mercy of God. Excuse me, Zechariah. It's all because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. A man named W.H. Auden, Auden used to say that we live in Advent time. So what does that mean? Well, it means that you and I live in between the time when Christ first came as that baby born in Bethlehem and in between the time when Christ will come again in glory. And I love this picture here. It is the picture of the darkness just before the dawn. And as you and I live in this world that is still full of grief and sickness and sorrow, we have this promise that the night is ending and that day is coming that Christ will come again. And that is our sure hope at Christmas, that we look forward to the day when the shadow of death will be no more, when we will be in the light of God's eternal kingdom in His very presence day and night. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful for your good hope this Advent season. To you, our God, who is merciful and who is mighty, you are God who hears us when we cry out to you. Would you help us, Father, to lift our hearts to you when we are anxious, Lord, that we would turn our faces to you and magnify you, trusting that you keep all of your promises. We thank you most of all for the promise you have kept in Christ, that through him we have redemption and hope for not only today, but hope for tomorrow. We pray this in his name. Amen.